we're back. We are back. In black. How was your dinner last night? <laughs> oh, my dinner was good. My dinner was uh, pretty excellent with my family. Just, uh, like, you know, finally had a chance to to go out just on a rare occasion, I guess. And uh, it's kind of weird, I guess, just being out nowadays. Just There's, like, a general anxiety that hovers me, but I try not to think about it. I try to just enjoy my time, you know? Generally, when I'm, like, walking around in public, it's not so bad. Like, there's no real anxiety with things. Yeah, I, like, sort of move over on the sidewalk still mm-hmm. just to give people their space. But, you know, I guess uptown Waterloo is a bit of a different situation than where you are. Not as, you know, badly pop, uh, dense it's population not as, density. Yeah. No. yeah. It's not as bad, I guess. It's, uh, like, it's even here. Five seconds to get that out. Oh. What's that? It took me fucking five seconds to get that out. I need to get into a podcast mindset. Hold on here. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we're back. And we're back. I love how when you told me uh watch the watch the podcast uh, the mic arm in like two seconds before we started recording, I just nailed it right when when we went go. Uh, in yeah. the beginning there. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we're perfect. really good at this. Eh? This we're is professionals. Fantastic start. Yeah, uh, Spotify. If you want to give another hundred million dollar deal out to a couple local podcasting kids, you know, or find us, you know, yeah, at we'll at gmail dot com. Wait, do we actually have an email? <laughs> we do have an email now. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had to. I set up the YouTube page, though. You know. Oh, true, true. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Oh yeah. Quick plug in. Mythic Morons on YouTube. Our uh, catalog is slowly going up there, and uh, you know, I figured YouTube is a good platform to keep our content on because you know I'm gonna add the timeline of our discussions eventually throughout each episode so if you're a listener if you want to go back even to our old episodes and just get into kind of the specific conversations we were getting to you'll be able to find that maybe easier on youtube um i don't know yeah that's uh that's about news for for mythic morons i guess um Uh, another plug-in yeah because i think i keep forgetting to do this and um I'm guessing if any new listeners tune in, they're going to be confused at, as to who is who. But welcome to Mythic Morons. I'm Chaney. Yes. <laughs> First intro in like 20 episodes, I guess. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Sid. And we are back with a monumental episode 33. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining. And uh, you know, I want to kick off this episode with some uh, like news, I guess. Podcast, or not podcast, some movie news. Um, this might be shocking to some people, but Chaney, do you... Do you want to take a guess at what you think the most popular movie of the year is so far? Or the most, yeah, the most popular movie. The most popular movie? Yeah. Are we talking theaters? Are we talking streaming? We're talking everything. We're talking everything here. We're talking from January till now, theaters and streaming. People oh, have God. been watching, like in the cultural zeitgeist. What would you take a guess on? Well, I know the big summer blockbuster was Tenet, but I mm-hmm. actually know not a whole bunch of people watch that because theaters are closed. So. Yep. Is it still that? Tenet wasn't even in the running. Let's just say uh, that. I, I knew that. I knew it. Sad, okay. And I'm, I'm really sad to say that. That, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's not Tenet. It's not any of those movies that you would have thought. Uh, you know, I'm having a hard time even thinking about what movies came out in January now to think about it, like, or before the whole pandemic started. But, uh, no, it's, it's Hubby Halloween with Adam Sandler. You're absolutely kidding me. I'm, I'm being dead serious. So all all those people that were talking shit about Hubby Halloween, there, there's your uh, top of the top of the box office right there. Well, at least we know Adam Sandler's next serious project is well funded. So absolutely, the the guy's a bankable star. 
No doubt about it. The most bankable star of 2020, Adam Sandler. Honest to God, it used to be so hilarious. I remember just listening. There's a certain radio station that we had growing up. Um, and around the Thanksgiving time, they'd play his old turkey song. I don't know if you've ever heard Adam Sandler's turkey song. No, but I've, I've, I haven't heard of it, but I think I know what you're talking about. He's a, he's a comedic genius. Yeah. He's, he's, this is when he was like big in comedy, right? Yeah, he's a music comedian for mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. And like the guy is seriously talented and seriously funny in a lot of stuff, especially Happy Gilmore. That's like one of my... No, that is my favorite Adam Sandler. I just rewatched it, I think, two weeks ago. Yeah, completely similar. The price mind. is wrong, bitch. <laughs> I fucking love, love that. that shit. Love that, so, the Bob Barker cameo. Yeah. Um, so honest to God, yeah, he's seriously talented. It's just that he kind of got caught up in the Hollywood loop of these weird comedies. But if I was ever put in his position, fuck, I'd be making those bills. You know, like, I think like I think we talked about this before, too. I, I, I respect Adam Sandler as a filmmaker. Just the guy makes movies with his friends and the movies that make him laugh. And maybe might just make him laugh sometimes, but it is what it is, you know. Here we are in 2020, Adam Sandler's most bankable star of the year. Are you sure it's not The Rock for the 10th year in a row? It's not. No, they're, they're, that's a that's an interesting point. The Rock is no longer up there like that. He, I don't think there's... No, like, fuck that shit, bro. Fuck another Fast and the Furious movie. All I want to see is a Adam Sandler cinematic universe on Netflix. Just tie it somehow. There needs to be, like, an endgame movie that ties it all together. No, actually, Hubby Halloween was kind of like that. That was kind of the end game universe breaking movie i'm noticing did you, a did thought, you did you catch a process with you no i didn't catch it no but i am noticing a thought <laughs> process with you yeah to where your immediate like joke or your immediate bit involving anything is the creation of some sort of podcast that's the microphone arm. yeah i just is, I, is I, the creation I, yeah go on it's the creation of some sort of cinematic universe mm. i wonder you know why that I mean? is i wonder where that comes from I think you've already talked about a Tarantino cinematic universe, Absolutely. which already kind of exists, but yeah, I mean, yeah, of. that that theory is not a. I have definitely not originated the Tarantino cinematic universe thing, but I'm a I'm a fan of the idea of that. And I think he is too. Every time I hear him, kind of uh, like he's self aware of the fact that his movies are, I think, connected in a way. The big Kahuna Burger that makes an appearance throughout every one of his movies, you know. So I think that yeah. is an intentional Except thought, for but hateful mm. eight maybe. Oh, I guess, yeah. I, just imagine there's a burger wrapper, a big kahuna just like buried in the snow somewhere, like just in their uh, trolley, like carriage or whatever. Like that would just break what. the movie, but it would make me laugh. But even still, I think there's some sort of tie-in between Django and Hateful Eight. Mm. I think it's set in the same, what I don't know. Well, they're have both no Western. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. No, it can't be because Sam Jackson's in both those movies. He plays two different characters. I don't think yeah, that. so. That, <laughs> it's his twin brother. One 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 guy's like uh works in uh, one of those plantation houses. The other guy's a cowboy. That could be related. Could be. I'd be interested in that movie. Have you heard of the uh, Tarantino? Actually, I, I want to address the point you made though about the cinematic universe thing first. Uh, the reason I think that is, is because when I was a kid, I would like kind of like one of those imaginative like fantasies I'd have was all the franchises and movies. Or, yeah, like, movies in general. Like, that Spider-Man... Like, I'm thinking back to, like, Spider-Man 2-era movies that were coming out, you know, back then. And I was thinking, like, all these stories are so disconnected. Like, New York was always, like, a central city in so many movies, and it's constantly getting destroyed. I'm like, 
think about like you know you think about like power rangers like how much is like that world of power rangers gonna take when there's like aliens coming down to destroy that city like so many fucking times in a year like that's kind of kind of apocalyptic in a way you know but it's a kid's show so nobody thinks about it but like my mind would go there i'm like what if like all these stories were in the same world and like the world was just this like really fucked up place that that had like apocalyptic events from like nine to ten like you know every day there was something new going on and i'm just like yeah spider-man somewhere and like batman somewhere else like yeah this is when i was a kid but this and yeah so i'm just basically saying the cinematic universe was always in my head i think i did it first before marvel you know your cinematic universe sounds apocalyptic apocalyptic and terrifying so yeah it would be oh well that's that's something it, it, <laughs> you know i guess you never caught the uh the power rangers and ninja turtles crossover when you were a kid but was that power rangers in space that did that no i forget which one i think it was. it was i i don't remember no no you know what i definitely caught it i definitely caught it because it was power rangers in space and i remember like I remember the how like big of an event that was. Like that was a big, uh, that was like it Batman was Power versus Rangers Superman in space. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Power. Yeah, man. I remember that time we went back. We looked at all the uh, the old pink and yellow Rangers. Yeah. To figure out which ones are the best looking. Lost yeah. Galaxy won by a long time. Lost. Shot. Yeah. No. No. I, we we held a we held a formal um, draft like a ranking system March Madness style. Yeah. Um, it was it took up your entire apartment i believe but we figured it out that you know the old era kimberly pink ranger like you mentioned lost galaxy yellow ranger those were those were queens of the day oh my god special shout definitely out definitely some of my first crushes ever absolutely uh and shout out to the pink ranger kimberly joe johnson i believe her name is i'm just ripping that off the top of my head off memory there you go but i think that's her name and um she's like a filmmaker now like established director i believe uh so that's yeah i heard about that a, a couple of weeks ago like she was collaborating with some somebody else i don't remember who but yeah that's kind of cool to see she's doing her thing still huh i had no idea yeah maybe i'll check out one of her movies have you like on the topic of power rangers because it's a it's a big interest to both of us have you seen the fan film short film of power rangers on youtube that's like a r-rated dark universe kind of take on the power rangers original years one? ago years ago i watched it i remember yeah. It. and yeah it's mm-hmm. crazy it's crazy good that hyped me up when they first like announced there'd be a movie i'm like i really hope they would never do that but i would like lose my shit if that was a hollywood movie power rangers you know i went and watched that power rangers movie in theaters you would um no i did oh that, yeah the, the one the, the actual one that came out right um the only real issue I had with it was the character and, and uh, Zord designs. I hated that too. Yeah, it looked weird, didn't it? It was like too alieny, you know. Like that. It that was a whole cool thing about the um, Megazords I found like in the original show was like it translated so well to toys and like you could just kind of play with the like you know you like when you saw the Megazord like I don't know I was just always like thinking like I want that toy to like you know play with that and just like make a megazord out of that but like you don't get that sense out of the movie one it just looks weird it looks too alien yeah it's i get what they're going for it's sort of a what like a grounded dark dark knight grounded take on like what happens if uh, power rangers existed i feel like every every franchise is on their on their dark knight wave yeah i know it it dark knight it it, it worked for dark knight obviously because it's fucking batman but and Dark Knight sort of, yeah. yeah. Dark Knight sort of did 
possibly ruin a lot of future franchises because they're like, oh, that was cool. That's a very grounded Batman take. So let me do it with this insert franchise here. And it kind of like watered down Man of Steel as well to an extent. Yeah, it it limited what it could have been possibly. So like, yeah. But now they're saying they're making a new Power Rangers and hopefully, hopefully it's something cool. I don't know if you heard of that. Reboot. Another reboot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too excited about it. Like that, that died with my childhood a long time ago. I guess that that uh, the hope of a good Power Rangers movie. I guess, but no. Nah. If if it happens, it'll be cool. I'll just go back and watch the the Red Ranger special. That's legendary. Yeah, that nothing like it. That or even what was another good. You know, I keep thinking back to like the movies even that they made, like the actual Power Ranger movies. The, the yeah. uh, there was the original Mighty Morphin one that was just campy as fuck. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, still great stuff. Awesome stuff. Fantastic stuff, really. Oh man. I'm getting such a nostalgia trip right now. Anyways. Yeah, I I hope people who can like who are from that era are also feeling that. That's like that's a huge part of our our childhood. Yep. Okay. It's it's still going on now though. There's still series coming out like new power ranger series yeah like but every it's, it's year and a half or every, so they do the thing where it's like it's like they establish the set of characters and like that power rangers and then the next year they'll do the super thing like that's what they've been doing i pay i'm, I'm here i'm paying it I'm, I'm keeping my ears open to what's going on in tv shows kid shows but it's not you know it's not like good it just doesn't look good it looks stupid like tv shows yeah. today just look stupid to me that are on cable i'm sorry well guess who owns power rangers Who's that? Hasbro, right? Yeah, but guess who owns the rights to the Power Rangers TV shows? No, I don't know who's that. It was the Disney. This is now like this is the they're it's called the Disney era of of Power Rangers oh, TV shows. I thought so. I th- yeah, once though there it was like ABC Disney, wasn't it? Like it was still owned by Disney before. Yeah, but they um it's showcased on Disney XD now, I believe. Oh, okay. So it's just yeah, they just really they cranked up the Disney levels. Yeah, they had the Disney so meter like go to 100. The charm sort of went away. Yeah, because like the pr- I know this sounds weird, but like the production value went up, but and the charm sort of gone. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it looks flashy, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're we're biased because we're coming from uh, like an old school quote unquote old school era, but yeah, that's that's it's my not like on it. it's not like our era looked bad though. No, it looked like, it looked great for its time. It worked, I think. It wasn't like the shows that came out. I think when I was growing up, never felt campy to me, from uh, an aesthetic point of view. You know, it for the most part worked. Like some of my favorite ones were the ones that really took, the like took the whole idea of what Power Rangers was. They took it kind of seriously. Uh, like Power Rangers SPD, that was one of my favorite ones because it was super sci-fi. It was out there as fuck. Like you had a wolf dog captain. Like it was. It felt like, like a Battlestar Galactica, like Power Rangers scenario, you know? Yeah, dude, Shadow Ranger up there with my top five Rangers for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shadow the Dog Guy. I, I, I wonder I, how his head fit in that helmet, but I didn't give a fuck because he looked cool. <laughs> You're not supposed to think about those things. Like, where where do their clothes go when they're morphing? No, don't think about it. No, it's part of the morphing grid. It's that part of half of I, that I love dog's that, face yeah, is in the that's morphing what I was grid. Thinking too. Yeah, exactly. It just goes in the morphing grid. Anyways. Anyways, whoa, <laughs> that's going to come up cool on the podcast recording. That was a full sync up right there. 
but yeah. Well, um, Cheney, you want to moving take on from Power Rangers, I guess. Yeah, that was a long Power Rangers discussion. You want to? What, what What do you got up? What have you been uh, watching? I didn't watch much. Um, I watched something I've already watched before. Um, something I really enjoy. Um, it's called Helsing, and more specifically, Helsing Ultimate, which is the newer one. Helsing's a anime. Um, they had an adaptation in the early 2000s, I believe, and this one sort of came out later. And it's more of a definitive edition. It, it's just the art quality is way higher. The voice acting is way better. Everything's just better about it. Um, not your typical anime. It's not like a shonen or anything. It, it's uh, surrounds the Helsing organization, which is a, a, a wing of the British government that specifically is meant to combat supernatural beings like vampires more specifically like vampires are the big problem in it mm-hmm. um stars a guy named alucard um and the police girl saris um and it's just a really violent really grotesque really really dark show that has um a lot of it, it, it underlying themes and and just some really awesome fights, um, especially between Anderson and, and Alucard. Um, their rivalry is, is pretty much legendary at this point. But um, it, it mostly sort of functions in um, in sort of the same philosophy behind One Punch Man, where in anime, specifically, you sort of get these really overpowered characters that you know can't be beaten. But the the fights they face are just as a means to uh, challenge more of their psyche than less so of their strength, and it it's it's just so fun to marvel at their strength and see them grow as a character from fight to fight. So, um, so I'm imagining some pretty dope fight scenes, like not in terms of animation quality. Oh, like uh, like the animation and the artwork is good. But you're not seeing like crazy animation stuff like you would see out of Naruto or any of the Dragon Ball movies mm-hmm. or even some of the fights from the Dragon Ball show. Interesting. Um, so it's not it's not going to be like it's not known for its fighting anime like animation style or anything. No, but like the the conflict itself is is right. really investing. So it you feel more well invested, I guess. But because um, a lot of the time within those other shows. Um, I just watch them not necessarily for the conflict, but to see the pretty animation. Um, more specifically, like some of the Dragon Ball movies, I will only go back just to watch some of the fight scenes because I have not a good understanding, but I have a really huge respect for the animators and what they do. Mm-hmm. And to see the shit they can pull off is incredible. So I always like to go back and watch those. Um, but Helsing is, is not really known for crazy good animation like really fluid um smooth animation nothing like um spirited away or anything like that like the Mm -hmm. masterful animation stuff it's more or less you have these nice fights these conflicts set up and you get to watch them unfold and the payoffs are really good and um the characters are super interesting alucard especially he's um in terms of anime badasses he's he's up there for sure and like everyone just has such a cool character design it's amazing so um if you like 
nah if you like vampires if you like seeing nazis get their shit kicked in and if you like seeing vampire nazis get their shit kicked in watch helsing because that's three for three right there yeah that's like a really like that's a broad audience base that could that could hit that you know that's a good yeah that sounds like an interesting show no for sure check it out is it on netflix or what are you watching no no well a legal site yeah okay got you got you youtube at night we'll call it yep youtube at night the dark yeah. youtube the dark youtube there it is kids uh what's it called again helsing you said helsing more specifically helsing ultimate yeah that sounds that sounds cool it sounds it kind of reminds me of blade a little bit to, to an extent yeah it, it's about to vampire extent, hunting yeah. it's yeah. about vampire hunting yeah um and alucard well not it's not really a spoiler but alucard himself who works for the helsing organization is a vampire so oh cool stuff nice um to tie into like anime um so one um hello can you hear me yeah i can hear you oh sorry my 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 mic cuted out um yeah no to uh tie into like anime um i was reading about how it's a one year anniversary of death stranding uh hideo kojima's game and you know i've talked to you a bunch about death stranding already pretty sure you're probably tired of me talking about it uh but i just wanted to give like my brief kind of uh feelings i guess about the game one year after it's come out and i've recently replayed it again just after hearing about that and like kind of see how i felt about the game and you know part of the whole reason also i the fact i wanted to do this podcast was to talk about the content that kind of inspired me to want to talk about stuff, you know, like just to be, to have conversations about stories that somehow in another way influenced me, you know, to some degree or another. And looking back at this game, it's definitely one of those games for me. Like it's by far the most interesting game that I've played, you know? So I just want to give like a quick, like recap of how I feel on it real quick. Um, So to me, it like, ties just the best of some of the genres that i really like really love and appreciate things like sci-fi japanese sci-fi specifically um anime japanese anime um like apocalyptic post-apocalyptic scenario stories really getting to like existential threats for example i took a year of existentialism in university which really fucked me up and read some really interesting and awesome stories about like different philosophers and stuff like that and you know just one of game can tie in a lot of like interest of things that you know just are eye-opening stuff like that it this is definitely one of those games that some people called this dude prophetic for making a game like this just with the timing of the whole pandemic you know it's a it's an interesting game with how it makes you feel playing during this time period because uh the protagonist of the game the character you play his name's sam and it's like all about trying to connect people you're not playing really with a society it's a fractured society set in this post-apocalyptic world so there was times that really resonated with me while i was playing in the moment of like right now you know i i didn't pick up this game until like i think february or march of this year because and like this is another reason i kind of want to talk about it was because the game initially got some like pretty crappy reviews people were calling it like a walking simulator just like kind of not giving it like I, I believe the respect that maybe it should have gotten, and it's it's not to say that it's not a walking simulator. It's a detailed as fuck walking simulator. I'll give you that. 
but it's more than that. So I think to its credit, the way, the way it, it really does something different. You know, we, the last time I talked to you about it, I had mentioned to you, it was like seemingly like a new genre type of coming out of this game where, you know, there's an online connectivity with like, there is a multiplayer aspect where different players can connect with you and, you know, help you build the society back up in, in, in like really kind of invisible ways. You're not playing like in a co-op kind of way, but you, you feel the presence of other players and they make an effect on the world in of Death Stranding. And I remember you telling me there's other games like that. Like, do you remember what games you were mentioning me at that time? Uh, mostly with the Dark Souls community because a big part mm-hmm. of yeah. the Dark Souls community is um, we're all in this together, this absolute shit show of a world mm-hmm. and we need to look out for each other. So there's certain ways for you to help other players and interact with other players or even fuck over other players if you so wish to be a part of the the darker part mm-hmm. of the Dark Souls community. So mm-hmm. there's there's parallels, but I, I do understand that it's not precisely the same thing. It's not, yeah, it's not precise, but the way the way you described it like that was like really similar. Uh, what is that beeping? Are you hearing that beeping sound? I am not. That's really weird. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off track there. I don't know what that was. Um, We can fix that. Uh, what was I just saying? About the connectivity between yeah, so comparisons it, it, and Dark Souls and Death Stranding. So it, it, it did kind of, it reminded me of that description. Like, it reminded me of that experience. But yeah, it is different because it's, the, like, the whole um, intention behind Hideo Kojima was that, like, it's a fractured world, so you're feeling like you need to you need to reach out as a player and go places to connect with people and so it's not an immediate connection it's like a lingering it's like it's like as a as a player playing from like another side of the world you know it's it feels more disconnected than connected at times so when those connections happen when those really rare instances i'll give you an example like there was one boss battle where um, and I'll get into like the, the creature design and stuff too real quick, but there's one boss battle that, um, like had me out of ammo completely, uh, used up all my grenade launchers, all my grenades and, uh, out of nowhere, like the, the ghost, like it, it, a ghost of another player who had previously played this level had popped out and like donated me a care package of extra ammo. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, where did that come from? And then. I later learned like that's how kind of one of the game mechanics works is like there's people that can assist you in those kind of times of crisis so you're not going to KO immediately. Doesn't always happen but it happens in rare instances. And then there's times when they can help navigate you through this world and like it's it's a constantly transforming world as you're playing the game. So that's something I thought that was cool. And like another thing was like primarily that really got me into the game was the guy who made it Hideo Kojima and like his his story behind it which was like his whole influence of uh filmmaking you know the guy was a cinephile I think he wanted to be a filmmaker before kind of getting to video games and somehow or another his path kind of went into games but there's like a really you know obvious cinematic feeling when you're when you're even looking at the game or playing the game and like for me coming from a filmmaking background and studying wanting to learn more about you know what's next from filmmaking i've had this we don't, i don't think we recorded a conversation about it but 
we've definitely had the conversation. Uh, like, what do you think is beyond this generation of filmmaking? You know, like we've had 3D movies. We had before that the introduction of color, the introduction of sound. Like, what is from our generation going forward going to be that next level of immersion, right? And this game got me thinking about that in a different way. It got me thinking about video games in a really different way. And like, this could be the next level of, you know, cinematic immersion because it's, if you can imagine like a movie scenario where you're no longer playing a character, but you become the character, you know, there's a really famous Alfred Hitchcock quote from like back in his day when he kind of predicted the arrival of a virtual reality system before anybody could conceive of such a thing. So I don't know how like I made the connection while playing the game, but it made me while playing it connect through the story. It's a fascinating story and I'm not going to get into the whole thing because it's massively large and confusing. So I would just say watch some YouTube videos to people listening who want to get into that. But it's a it's a grand kind of uh, like a really sci fi kind of story. You know, I'll just say it like that. It's a really grand story um, and it gets you into it, gets you into the characters what they're going through and that level of immersion from playing a video got video game got me thinking about it differently thinking about video games differently so the influence of the game i'm not like shy upon it you know it it got me it got me wanting to play more video games than than i was ever before so in that way i can appreciate it and uh yeah i was gonna say like the character designs like it's it's it takes so many elements of like Japanese sci-fi and anime, like I was saying, and it really, it, it gives you a clash of all these different influences. Um, there's parallel dimension creatures that are like his whole, his whole influence of um, near death experiences that he experienced uh, go into this game. And like the visions he kind of saw of, uh, of an afterlife that's kind of portrayed in this game. And the visualization of that, you know, it's it's super creative, it's super imaginative, and like just me talking about it, it's not going to give it a do. It won't make sense unless you see it in the context of the visuals of the game. But like, it's really imaginative ideas. It's really, it, it's a, a like a breath of fresh air, as a cliche as it sounds. But to see a game really taking risks and and giving you new visuals, new game mechanics, um, I think it'll be haunted by the whole walking mechanic or walking simulator review i guess that it got and people might not give it a shot for that reason but i'll 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 keep praising this game you know i would praise this game as as long as uh as long as people would want to hear it but it's a game i would say check out for sure because from like you cheney for sure i would say check it out because as a guy who would appreciate a good story good characters a really like in-depth story to be immersed in and a world more especially i, I didn't even talk about the world building but this, the story, the world of Death Stranding, I believe could be taken so much further going forward in movies, video games, TV shows, whatever. Um, so I hope they go in that direction. But, you know, it just came out on PC. It's still on PS4, PS5, whatever. I'm replaying it again because I, I love the game. And yeah, that's my short, quick review, I guess. Like, barely a review, but uh, I would say check out, like, you sent me a really good review that was ridiculously long i did not get through oh matthew matosis matthew matosis is a legend in like the uh video essay world of youtube that i enjoy so much i'm I'm starting to get into that now because like film essays that are video film essays that i love to watch it's just kind of very similar to those you know 
kind of uh, informative videos. But yeah, go on. Yeah. He's very separative. Um, he mm -hmm. looks at things in a more objective manner, and he'll even say that. It's like, it's just because I'm saying that I don't like this doesn't mean I didn't like the experience at all. Um, I think the his Dark Souls 2 review is a, is a good indicator of that, where he absolutely dismantles that game, because Dark Souls 2 is a fucking mess when you look at it. Um, but that's not to say it's not an enjoyable experience overall. So he can come off as, as harsh and and very um, dry, but um, his whole purpose is to look at things from a mechanical standpoint, objectively, yeah. and see how it stacks up and how it works and what the, uh, the objective was and how well they were able to meet it. So um, Matthew Matosis on YouTube is incredible at doing that. I... I I always watch his videos, no matter what, no matter what game it is, even if I haven't played it or not. Um, mm -hmm. I just think he has a good grasp of how things are, and he's he he takes a long time to make his videos, but that's for a good reason because he scripts his videos, and they're anywhere from forty to an hour and a half long. So, um, yeah, but Matthew Matosis definitely one of my favorite video essayists on YouTube for sure. Yeah, so like shout out to that guy if you want to see like a proper full fledged review. Uh, that there you go search that guy up and yeah it's like if you, in general when you look on youtube about the people talking about this game they're in general long videos long video essays and i believe that's because there's a lot to say about it so uh don't take my word for it check it out for yourself that's what i always say about these kind of things take your own opinion as the highest regard and experience these kind of things for yourself you know uh i think that's the greatest lesson if you don't like it then like fuck you don't like it and you learn something you don't like these type of things there you go but i don't like i think if somebody can connect with what i've just said like there is something new to be learned in in almost anything in almost any experience and my understanding and appreciation for like what we're talking about like just the idea of communication you know and like why we're doing what we're doing right now communicating through a podcast like i think my whole understanding of that dramatically was just I don't want to say shifted and changed completely but like um like I just grew a greater appreciation for wanting to do it uh through this game so yeah that's my thoughts on on Death Stranding one year anniversary so go check it out on PC or uh PlayStation because for Xbox out of luck poop uh and there's another movie that I saw this week I want to quickly talk about um so there's this really like independent Sundance movie that came out in uh 2013 and I don't know how I'm just I was just going through like YouTube trailers on or movie trailers on YouTube of just filmmakers and like actors and actresses that uh, I just wanted to see like what movies are they in and I came across this director uh, his name is Dustin Daniel Cretton I believe Dustin Daniel Cretton yeah uh, and he is making the next Marvel Shang-Chi movie and that's how I gen like at first became aware of him like as you know obviously this is a big next big marvel movie coming out with an all asian cast which is really cool martial arts kung fu style movie so i wanted to see what this guy's film background was going into this thing and i like marvel studios trend and reputation of taking independent independent filmmakers who are you know not generally huge names at first just talented storytellers and allowing them kind of with a big budget and a framework to to tell a you know a superhero story and that's all that's something i've always just liked about marvel's work ethic they, they give a good deal of trust to their filmmakers and put
puts them on a platform, you know, to a world. And this guy was coming from really just the film festival circuit. So nothing huge, nothing Hollywood before. Actually, no, that's not true. He, uh, sorry, he just came out with a, a uh, Michael B. Jordan movie earlier this summer. Um, it's called Just Mercy. I don't know if you heard about that one. It's a no, court drama movie. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wait. It, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard. I did, I did see a trailer for that. Yeah, it's one of the rare movies that actually came out in theater this year, I believe. Or, or yeah, it's on HBO now. It's on so if you, or Crave if you're in Canada. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out now. I didn't think about it at first. But so I, anyways, long story short, I wanted to look at this guy's filmography. And I saw that the short film, that there was a short film that kind of he made in 2008 called Short Term 12 that was his filmmaker calling card, as they would say, which is, you know, the short film that propelled him to make the feature film out of it, I guess. Um, It did really well at like Sundance, uh, at other film festivals, and eventually he wrote wrote the short into a feature. And it's influenced by his time working, like out of college, working at a residential school of um, uh, like kids who are out of homes and have like abusive past relationships and really have no place to stay. Kids are just from troubled background. And so they live and study and go to school all in this kind of residential school system, not like the residential school systems of Canada, not to be confused with that, but something more modern, something nicer. And it, the protagonist of the story, um, I should say it stars actress Brie Larson. I don't know what your thoughts are, are on or about her. If you want to share. I really haven't seen much of her at all. I didn't even watch Captain Marvel. So. Oh, no? Okay. That tainted a lot of people's um, perception of her, I think. Certainly my sister. I watched, uh, I watched this movie with my sister the other night, and... Um, she hated Brie Larson going into it, I'll be honest. She said she hates her because of Captain Marvel and just didn't like the movie, didn't like her. And I said, you know, like, give this a shot. I believe you'll have a change of opinion of her and in general, everything. I understand and, Brie um, Larson is a very talented actress. I just think yeah. maybe it was like maybe the director or the writer's fault with regards to how Captain Marvel was handled. Yeah, that, I, think, she, I think that too. Yeah, for sure. If you if you see, it's a, it's a good movie, honestly, to watch and break down what went wrong it's a good exercise if you're like keen on those kind of things of, of um like just picking out story structure story beats or character flaws i don't know um my my ocd kind of just like likes likes to pick apart those things so for me i'm constantly not constantly i don't want to make it seem like i'm always watching it but if i do watch it for a little bit i'm i'm really just breaking it down of the things i don't like and identifying what cinematically doesn't work so I would recommend it in that sense if, if you want to watch uh, or read a script on where movies go wrong. But anyways, so it stars Brie Larson, and you're absolutely right. She's an Oscar-winning actress. I think she's underrated, kind of. She's, like, really a talented actress, and it's, she shines in this movie. Um, she's the protagonist, and she is this, um, I guess, the service provider is what they call it the uh, in this school. And, you know, one of the lines she says is, you're not a teacher, you're not a parent. It's like kind of something in in the middle of what they do, but it's in a way like, she, and, and that's a rule that she establishes that, you know, you can't be a teacher, you can't be a parent. And um, there's times when that rule is broken. So it's interesting dynamic seeing uh, her interact with these kids. And I'll just quickly say like the, um, 
the kids are really the story here. Uh, just the characters, I should say, in general. The characters are the story in general. There's not really a three-act plot kind of thing going on. There's not a classical plot structure. It's, you know, watching it, you're watching these characters and their independent plot lines kind of tell you a story of just people from a whole variety of backgrounds, diverse, diverse backgrounds coming from, you know, these are just like real people's stories, it feels like, that you're hearing. And some of it is like really, um, uh, like, could be hard to for some people to listen to it was certainly uh, relatable in some senses and um it's it's it felt like a really like out of it and a, born out of an experience you know it felt like the filmmaker was the camera in those situations like when he was you know i was reading the interviews he worked in schools like that so if the way uh, his directing style is i should start with that um just like a really clean and really clean and precise directing style i've really loved it um from shot compositions to just a variety of shot styles you know like he didn't i i don't like knock directors who just stick with one style like david fincher is uh the type of director who is a kind of static shots really keen on the tripod and quick or slow pans and slow movement kind of shots and some directors really just stick with their thing um but i can appreciate when a director really reaches through the medium of the camera you know and, and seeing like what can you do in different ways and, and the way this guy Dustin Daniel Cretton uses the camera it, it all feels so natural but it feels emotional and it feels inspired by the script um, so the directing directing camera work flawless um, the script writing it's inspiring I'll say it like that like as a as an aspiring screenwriter as somebody who is a practicing writer um, it's one of those movies that I'm for sure going to be like constantly, I think one or two times a year going to be going back to, to just analyze the writings. <laughs> like it was, it, you know, you know how they say exp when exposition is invisible, right? Like it's, um, that the quality of that is like good writing and, uh, yeah, you just never feel like you're a story is being told to you. You feel like you are a, you know, you got a visitor pass in this school and you're just kind of like observing this scenario of or this like one week in this building you know you're just um shadowing some guy working there it feels super natural it feels super clean um what is there like a word for that or a name for that kind of thing like a like a shadowing kind of presence in a movie like i don't know if there's if there's an exact um i can't think of a term yeah i don't know if i learned anything about that either shadowing seems like a good enough term yeah, it's I, I, like it seems like I want to see if this is a style he carries forward because, you know, I, I guess something a term that can relate to it, like a lingering camera, I guess, you know, the camera lingers in the scene even after the characters move on. Um, so that's why I say, like, I feel like he was the camera in these scenarios. He was just an observer. And, and yeah, that's that's the impression I got from that. And yeah, um, it, it, it affected me in, in, in a in a emotional way, in a in um in a influential way i guess in like you know directing and writing was so good it was like fuck this is how do people make movies like this it was like one of those things rushing through my head like no way like this is just a really uh astounding kind of piece of work um acting is top of the line the characters who are featured i'm not sure if like 
uh, other than Brie Larson. Oh yeah, there's Rami Malek in it too. He plays a pretty funny character. This like before Bohemian Rhapsody, so uh, it's like he's like a, his character coming into it is supposed to be representative of the audience, I believe. Um, and so you're kind of stepping into this world with him, and you're making mistakes as a naive person would. You know the assumptions of somebody, I believe, like me, who would not know as much about the kind of people like you know coming from these kind of backgrounds the kind of assumptions those like those those would be made and um it's interesting to be placed in those kind of positions with a character like that so uh i want what i'm trying to say is the balance of the cast the balance of the characters are also really good there's a there's an eye for everybody there's a point of view for kind of a variety of diverse people um so on top of that yeah just a great movie i would highly recommend it it's on YouTube, funny enough. It's not on, like, it's not hard to find. It's just short. search up a short, short Term 12 on YouTube, and that's how I found it. Cool. Um, you have any notes? Uh, no, I, I was going to talk about something else, but I'm, I'll save that for possibly another time. We can get into our main discussion, which I'm super excited for. Are you now? I wonder why that is. Well, Cheney. It's because it's fucking Star Wars time. Let's get it. Don't cry. So, uh, yeah, The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2 came out. And I watched it. Did you watch it? Ah, fuck, I missed it. No, I watched it twice, actually. I watched it. Uh, it sucks having to stay up like 3 a.m. to watch it now because Disney Plus doesn't set it up at midnight for Canada. Yeah, I had this but, whole... Uh, I actually had people come over to watch it at midnight and it just didn't show up oh really yeah well it was with my cousin and, and her friends but like yeah that's um, super disappointing when you're like fuck when is this coming out 3 a.m yeah shit we're out of luck i'm going to bed yeah it's it's uh the first episode was worth i think i felt worth staying up 3 a.m for this was like yeah i could have i would have preferred waking up in the morning to watch it honestly yeah i, like I it was, was um it felt you know what it felt like to me i'll just say it briefly and um sorry i realize we haven't been saying spoiler warning at all in the beginning of this show um i think we should just permanently say it. there's spoilers throughout this show always there's never not going to be spoilers so take it with that unless we say there's not spoilers um so yeah spoilers for what we're going to talk about but my impressions off the bat are this felt like a saturday morning cartoon ep- uh, kind of episode yes did you yes. get that vibe uh i got it i got the filler episode vibe for sure yeah the bottleneck um, episode yeah it's the uh, naruto classic filler that we all love so much and that wouldn't be an issue for me if this show had like 22 episodes in a season you know what i mean i feel you yeah right it, so i felt like it was too early for this kind of an episode for an episode two you know what i mean episode two should not be filler especially after the cliffhanger we got after episode one yeah. Which is even a bigger disappointment because now I know we're going back to Tatooine again. No, after this, I don't think so. Really? And and here's the thing I would say. I don't think this is a quote-unquote filler in the traditional sense. I think this does progress the story uh, kind of forward. But I would, I would say this is like a bottleneck, the way it starts and the way it ends. Um, so we immediately start off from Mando leaving Tatooine so I know I know Tatooine is your all-time favorite planet Cheney and you want the entire show to take place on Tatooine but we had to eventually leave sorry buddy Kashyyyk's my favorite planet by the way huh Kashyyyk's my favorite planet by the way 
Keshi. Uh, I gotta say, gotta say Mustafar. Mustafar's the second favorite for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sick one. Um, but no, yeah, tattooing. We're, we're, we're getting off tattooing, and um, it seems like it seems like it, it, where's the story gonna go if we're starting all the way back on tattooing? But it's um, you get right into the action, right? Like that opening was a a sick way to kind of throw you into a into a kind of a predicament there into a threatening predicament for Mando. Yeah, for sure. But I actually thought it was, um, when I was watching, I'm like, oh, are these guys working for Boba Fett? Mm, interesting. You know, you know what I mean? I was like, are these guys working for Boba Fett? And that, is he I like a raider it, yeah. leader? Like a, a, the mm-hmm. leader of some sort of raider team and now he wants his armor back? That's that's interesting. So I after looking a little, a little more closely at that uh, end of episode one, uh, did you notice that the, he was holding the Raider staff, or not holding, but he had the Raider staff kind of on his back, Boba Fett? Yeah, he had a Raider staff and like a bow and arrow or some shit. Yeah, he and he looked his like disguise almost looked like he was disguised as a Raider, like he looked like a sand person almost, um, minus the mask, obviously. But yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see what. That's it. That's I I I would believe that too, kind of that he those guys weren't just random, you know. At first, I thought that maybe they were going after the child, but that was also never made clearly. Yeah, I thought that because too. Because like, they had possession of the child for a second, but... Yeah, because I, I thought it was Boba Fett, but then they took the child. And I was like, okay, yeah. are they after the baby? And then then it was just sort of a, a introductory action scene slash comedy scene, which was a little jarring. because I thought we were going to like pick up off the cliffhanger of... The first episode, but I guess that's just not something the Mandalorian show does, apparently. Mm-hmm. Even through season one, they didn't really do that, so I should maybe stop getting my hopes up so much. But it's uh, it was like a fine little opening. I here's what I liked about it, and I was um, after episode one, I was having a conversation with another friend of mine who um, uh, shout out to George actually from the ARM podcast. Uh, shout out to the ARM podcast guys, our friends over there. But I was talking to George and he brought up a good point to me that was like you know mando after fighting off a dragon seems kind of invincible you know seems like what is this guy not uh uh, like what is his vulnerabilities i should say uh this guy can just get swallowed by a dragon and come out like it's butter you know and just make it make it a scrambled egg essentially and turn it into a steak and scrambled egg uh little dessert there and I, I, I agreed with him. I was like, yeah, this is a bold way to start the season, establishing the guy's, you know, badassery. But I think what a counterbalance to kind of show that not not fully that he's vulnerable. Like, obviously, he overcame the situation fairly quickly. Whenever you watched it, I noticed it was actually quicker than I had initially thought. Like, he really just did, like, three moves and got out of it. But what I'm trying to say is, I guess it was cool to see him get um, taken aback, like, caught off guard you know um almost like almost assassinated almost through like you know almost um losing the child in that case and, and it made me like it was the opening so i knew like there's plenty of show to go forward but it made me in that moment uh i guess um engaged like just in the in the threat of the situation when especially when he had a knife to baby yoda especially at that point i was just like where is this going you know yeah. Where are we going here? Um, don't don't be putting a knife up to that kid. I agree that it was effective in establishing that Mando's weakness is Baby Yoda and his, and his need to care for him. 
mm-hmm. I do wish it felt a little more connected to the rest of the episode. You know what I mean? Um, if this scene never happened, the events of the episode would play out in the same way. Um, so there, there is some sort of wish to maybe uh, you could still achieve this objective of establishing that, but perhaps doing doing it within more of the plot of the actual episode. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it does yeah. feel a little disconnected, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that's a uh, interesting point. Like it would have the episode would have carried on. Like it, it uh, seems disconnect. Like it's an independent moment, I guess, because I thought the same thing. Almost like are we are we lingering in uh, Tatooine now? Because he's he doesn't have the um, the speeder anymore. So it's like, is this episode gonna be a Mando th- wandering through the desert episode kind of thing? But nope, we're back in Moss Eisley relatively quick. Um, which that always doesn't make sense to me. Is like, is Tatooine like a relatively small planet where you can just walk through the desert and it's like no problem. You're walking through towns like this is fucking the GTA. Like, what is this? Yeah, and I was really hoping. I thought deserts were deserts. I was really hoping, and again, this is me getting my hopes up. Like, yeah, wandering through the desert, and like he can't take the heat, and Boba finds him, takes the helmet off, <laughs> yeah, something, yeah. you know, like does something. But no, he, yeah, no, he's walking through that shit, carrying everything, carrying the Boba Fett uh, armor, carrying baby, baby Yoda, um, and wearing his full armor the whole time. That that threw me off. I'm like, no way. How's this guy not a roast desert? turkey like, no at this point? Yeah, no way. So a, a little odd way to start the episode for I, me I enjoyed to be it. honest i'll say i enjoyed it but yeah uh it, it was a bit of um jarring independent disconnected yeah but i like where they went from there the uh the can back to the cantina i always appreciate the cantina for what it kind of stands for you know just uh the cultural hub of star wars i guess just yeah. where all the scum and villainy go just all these r- underground characters but more especially like the shining moment of those cantina scenes are the practicality of it all the practical effects the special effect costume design you know um it that never really gets lost i mean i know the same for you you know like and it was just uh it it was like episode four vibes you know like a new hope um it it just takes me back to that first movie and i love how they're they're not uh selling out for just taking cgi route there was that tarantula creature that uh immediately stood out to me you know yeah, the insectoid, which is another callback to episode four, which I was I was actually mm-hmm. surprised that that was the alien they went with because it's like this really obscure, the most ridiculous alien species. George, it's the probably, most ridiculous one. It's just a giant ant. That's all it is. It's an yeah, sorry, not a tarantula, an ant. That's it's literally an ant. It's literally just um, a big ant. Like, how is this thing in a? Uh, I don't know. How is this thing playing Pazak? Is that what I want to know? <laughs> yeah. How can this thing uh, see the cards? <laughs> You know what? You know what's something. Um, I you know just skipping a bit in it, not skipping, but the funny thing that is addressed in Star Wars is that, you know, the fact that there are multiple languages and you can either learn those languages or you don't. And there's obviously uh, the comedic moments that come out of that in this episode. You know, um, I I always like that. It's not like you know certain other galaxy faring movies and universes take other routes like i'm thinking of guardians of the galaxy when i say that they have like the whole like uh plot device where everybody has a universal translator built in so no problem everybody speaks english but like i love how star wars makes it that it gets awkward at times like sorry man i don't speak your alien language i don't know what the fuck planet you're from uh and there's a couple of those encounters um that 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 always just feels like it grounds the whole thing to me you know it makes it all more uh 
yeah, just grounded. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? No, no. It was a um, quick couple scenes just to get off of Lost Just Eyes. get off Tatooine. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. To, it was good to finally get off and to get to a new part of the galaxy, I guess. And uh, yeah, interesting. Um, this is where it becomes the bottleneck, though. This is where they introduce the MacGuffin. Your... Yeah. Which is um, this? I didn't even I didn't even catch the gecko girl's name, like. The, I didn't either. I don't think I. Remember. I don't think it had a name. I don't even know. Anyways, it was a fish. It was a fish woman. No, it was a gecko Alien. frog thing. Frog fish frog fish gecko. It, frog. When it was when it was standing up, it looked like a fish. But when it was no, no, it did look more like a frog. You're right. Um, but it it moved like a frog completely. Uh, yeah. Really, really impressive practical effects, though I do, I do admit. But like, um, it, it was such an odd episode because, like, all of a sudden he's a taxi driver now, which is yeah. well, he made the joke about it. But it's like, yeah, it's like a really big change of pace because we went from walking into a town and killing a dragon to now being a taxi guy in the second episode. I can understand if, if this was like halfway through the season. That's like, it, yeah. I felt, bro, and you, you said it before. I could say it, but I felt the exact same way. It felt like this kind of an episode would fit somewhere better in a different, like later on in the season. Uh, coming off that first episode, yeah. Um, but go on. But yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was um, so. So they sort of move on, and they they establish that he can't use hyperspace because it'll damage the eggs. Which I was like, that's actually kind of cool because we've never really. Because Star Wars is always usually about, you know, it's more of a, a fantasy setting where you just jump from location to location without yeah. much repercussions. Um, it's just to get to the locations because the locations are sort of characters in of itself. And it's just a way to move the story forward. So um, cool concept to sort of um, utilize the, the restrictions behind not having light speed. And some of the problems that come along with that, which being mm-hmm. like them expanding on the New Republic a little bit more in this episode. Yep. Um, so it was man, cool to see that. Yeah, you, the New Republic are some dicks. They are. They really are. Which is like, I get it. Like in terms of um, actual outside of the main Jedi Sith conflict. Whoever's in charge is generally a dick, um, and like regular people within this world, sort of just go about their own business and, and forget about the crazy space wizard stuff. Um, I remember from the old Republic video games, there was one um, character you'd talk to, and he said the Jedi War, and yeah. you're like, "Well, it wasn't Jedi War; it was the Jedi and Sith." He's like, "I don't fucking care. You guys are both just." magic using laser sword wielding assholes you're all the same yeah. to me so I, I like this nice slice of life sort of stuff with regards to exactly. like interactions with the military because it really is now it's just a military police force at this point with the yeah the yeah public they're just patrollers like they're space patrollers uh and like they kind of addressed in this uh in this episode like the the setting of it is where i guess the new republic is taking back territories of space the galaxy and so, like, their jurisdiction is, like, the, 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 the policies, I guess, of the galaxy are changing, where the Mando was, like, a true bounty hunter in the sense where he could 
traveled through space kind of undetected and didn't have to really worry about police in that kind of a sense. But uh, yeah, this showed the evolution of that almost where they're like, um, just the fact that it, that's all kind of changing, I guess. Uh, that was that was well done. How every ship uh, I really like that scene, that, that X-Wing scene. Yeah, every ship needs a beacon now because they're looking for Empire stragglers, which makes yeah. sense, but uh, not so good for Mando who has uh, a warrant on for his arrest because of his involvement with the heist. So, um, but yeah, that is a cool scene where it's just nerve-wracking where you see them sort of cruising by they check and then they open up their wings to attack mode and it was kind of um like slapstick humor like silent comedy kind of you know like obviously it wasn't pure, uh, pure silence there was dialogue but like i did get the, uh, um sort of han solo vibes with uh how are you yeah yeah from the <laughs> oh yeah han solo in the trooper outfit yeah it yeah, was yeah. definitely a, it was kind of a call back to that just may the force be with you yeah uh, the little line at the end, uh, how he's trying to get away with it, almost like if you're getting pulled over by a cop and you're just trying to be the, be a nice guy, but you know maybe you got a little little something in the back over there you're trying to trying to get away from. No, that's never happened to me, so I'm not going to try to speak like that's happened to experience. But it's it's reminiscent of that. It's really like a galaxy Star Wars version of smuggling. So and you know whatever. Um, but the way that's kind of presented, it, it comes off comedic. Like it's just these kind of cutbacks to the uh, to the x-wing pilots back to mando just uh you know trying to behave as if everything's normal and then um and then uh as soon as the x-wings just go into attack mode as soon as the s-folds go up you i that's when my laughter came out i was like yeah what's gonna happen and it just holds on him for a second the, it holds on mando and that alien and it's the aliens looking at mando like what, what are you better to do and then his swift jerk of the spaceship and the way it just takes you out of the frame. Uh, that was beautiful build up to that moment. Yeah. And then that takes us to the planet. Takes but, us uh, to the yeah. planet, but it takes us to a classical star Wars dogfight trench run scene out of nowhere. Oh yeah. First, which was yeah, great yeah. by the way, out of nowhere. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Uh, truly. <laughs> that was, uh, that was cool. That was really cool to see. Um, taking it from like space to atmospheric, kind of the dogfight was six seeing mando in a in a big bulky like industrial cruiser kind of outfly outmaneuver tactically like these x-wings that are so maneuverable like you know like just so efficient in in that kind of a scenario to dogfight you might um, say it's the most well-rounded ship in the rebel fleet huh yeah huh? it's the most it's <laughs> huh? this guy's been playing squadrons a little bit <laughs> a little bit yeah uh, no, but it, it gave me that feeling. I'm like, I immediately want to play squadrons after this. I just want to, I just want to invert my engines. I want to throttle the shot. I had the exact same feeling anymore, but I guess they yeah, didn't have their it, target it locators on. Yeah, I guess so. Those guys were ass. Come on, let's be real. Yeah. But uh, no, a quick shout out to the, to the actors playing the X-Wing pilots. One of the actors was Dave Filoni. Quick cameo by him. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah. That oh. was pretty cool. So he was, it was also the, uh, like this episode had a lot of tiebacks to your favorite episode, the heist. Uh, I like know, the, which was, was a little disappointing for me because I was hoping for more of a, um, Bilber. Yeah. Not well. Yeah. Bilber specifically, <laughs> yeah. but I was hoping for, um, <laughs> some more like continuation of the plot threads, not necessarily just callbacks, yeah. but I think we're still getting, yeah, that. But I, I think Bilber's confirmed for this season. So he is. Yeah. Well, he made it out of that episode. Spoiler, but yeah. He made it out of that episode. One of the only ones that made it out of that one. So I, I do think he's coming Alive, back this I season. Alive, I should say. 
I do but, think he's coming back yeah. this season, which would be probably would my be favorite cool. episode again. Mm-hmm. Um, this this episode felt similar to uh, the heist episode uh, to me in the sense that uh, like we're trapped with Mando on this after the dogfight, I should say. Uh, like Mando has to do some pretty sketchy maneuvers to out outfly the X-wings, and resulting in him crashing the crashing the ship, the Razor Crest. And at first you're like, that's not terrible damage. Like you can fly out of there, and then, boom, just kind of like classic, you know, like Indiana Jones style. Just the bottom caves from underneath him, and he falls right through the through the through the ground into a cave, and um, the ship's all fucked up. Uh, I like episodes, or I like moments where something iconic of a character like almost an extension of the character is destroyed or like taken away from him you know um i think it's like just an extension of this like episode showing the vulnerability of uh the mandalorian like when when he's without a ship he is he's way more vulnerable as you can see in this episode um and yeah i like i just like that in general like his ship was completely totaled after um after uh falling through that thing but again, it kind of makes me want this episode to be like I know it has his its plot like it's 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 narratively important to the to the overall story where it's at as an episode two, I guess. But I guess like what I'm trying to say is if you're gonna show an episode where he loses his ship or his ship gets destroyed or you know a bottleneck like this, for example, I I like it kind of later on, and you almost show like the hope of getting off this rock is next to nothing at this point, you know. Um, I guess at first it left me with that impression, like a little bit of oh, like, w- where do we go from here? But yeah, yeah, I was thinking the entire episode, how the fuck is he gonna get out of this? Because like that ship doesn't seem like it's repairable by a single person. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm I was kind of disappointed at the end, which we'll get into. But I was I was on the same page as you all say uh, in the beginning of that. That like how is like yeah, there's a a huge hole just through the hull. Like there's no door, yeah. And, um, there's no door to the to the ship anymore. There's a tarp there. And now. so, when you're flying in space, as I'm sure you're aware, you kind of need a door. So you kind of need air. You kind of need a good seal. So, yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing as you, man. I was like, there's no, there's little to no hope that this guy's on like a Hoth-like planet, an ice planet, no civilization around him. There's just two X-wings patrolling nearby, and um. Yeah, so it, from that standpointing, or from that standpoint, I guess, an interesting, um, an interesting start to the episode, a real start to the episode, I guess, when we're on this Hoth-like planet. Or I guess I'm going to start calling it the alien-like planet because there's a pretty decent influence of alien, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to get to that. The original. I was going to get to that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of established that, yeah, they're kind of stuck here and... The gecko lady wanders off, finds a nice hot spring to keep her eggs warm. Um, and that Yoda, pissed me off. I'm like, you're a fucking stupid alien. Yeah, that's a why really stupid alien thing to do. Like, why would you just go walking off with your eggs in the cold? And you're like an amphibian. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? Just it was. It's like, warmer in the ship. Like, like, what are you hoping to find yeah, out there with 100%. your eggs? And but like, just by chance, there's like a hall, a room with a nice hot tub, <laughs> like a. <laughs> perfectly sized hot tub just sitting in sitting out there but yeah anyways Um, the uh obscurities aside (laughs) so and then when i saw baby yoda start looking at all the eggs i immediately turned Mm -hmm. to my cousin who was viewing it with me i was like oh 
xenomorph eggs and she's like yeah right i was like no it's, yeah. it's definitely going to be some sort of a xenomorph yeah. face hugger thing yeah and yeah. lo and behold we had not necessarily face huggers not necessarily but, but something similar close enough. it looks similar close enough. close enough yeah uh i do want to say that that was um influenced by an early like ralph mccrory concept art of uh like original hoth design or not hoth sorry uh dagobah design with the spider and the eggs if you want to check that out, just like I did see that artwork. Like, I did see that artwork. Yeah, I didn't know who it was yeah, by, but yeah. I did see the artwork for it. So they they pulled back early Ralph Macquarie sketches, really bringing true to life of his his designs. Like, you know, Star Wars is iconically Ralph Macquarie's art direction and style, mm-hmm. um, and and it was cool to see like another monster, like another creature, and I mean coming off a of, of already creature battle, you know, we're getting to another one immediately. But yeah, just the. Uh, First scene, Baby Yoda. I mean, okay, let's talk about Baby Yoda real quick. The child is like a pretty big menace, pretty big brat in this episode, just yeah. going around eating babies entirely. I was like, you're being like he is an he is as much of an antagonist in this episode as the spiders, as the aliens. Yeah, and they played off for jokes. I'm like, that's not really yeah. funny. You're literally eating <laughs> this lady's children. And the way they establish it is that these are the last of their kind. Yes, that this is like a last hope kind of a, a trench run mission where um mando has to secure the safety of an entire species at this point so that the stakes are set up in this episode kind of immensely where like you said this is going from a taxi driver job to um mando is now entitled or is in charge or responsible for saving the entire species of this frog lady right and then um, the writers just thought it'd yeah. be funny if baby yoda would eat these eggs of the of the last possible bloodlines of this entire species and i'm just like i mean i thought it was kind of funny i'm not gonna lie i laughed <laughs> just baby yoda makes me laugh but yeah it was a uh, it was a bit cheeky <laughs> it's a really cheeky i mean i guess it's <laughs> funny but i didn't like when you add all the context, it's not that fucking funny. It's kind of really yeah. Dark. No, when you when you start to think about the context, it's definitely a, it's it's uh yeah. But they played it off for laughs. I mean, interesting choice because I don't know. Like they, I I I've, I've got this sense that um they're like establishing a dark side thing with Baby Yoda a little bit. What the from fuck? the first season? No, 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 not like. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about Darth Jar Jar. Nothing like that. No conspiracy. I'm not Alex Jones Dude, in this episode. But please don't. Okay. Don't I'm not Alex Jones, baby Yoda. Don't Alex Jones, baby Yoda. <laughs> Definitely not. But um, what I'm trying to say is, I guess, like, because there's always the concept of, you know, the Force is, um, it's it's not taking a, it's not taking a biased stance on light or dark. It's it's merely balance. And baby Yoda is currently untrained, so he might be just be exploring the ranges of the Force. In the first season, we see him Force choke, uh, the the jet the uh, wow, what's her name? Gina Corleone, Gina actor. I don't know. I forgot her last name too. I'm so bad at this. Fuck. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. The, the shock trooper, the rebel shock troopers in the show. What's her name in the show? Uh, I don't know because I don't really care for the character. Yeah, there you go. I'm asking the perfect guy, aren't I? It's yeah. your favorite character in the show. Sweet. Uh, well, a testament to what kind of character she is. I can't remember her fucking name. And honestly, I don't even want to search it up at this point because my keyboard's too fucking clicky. So I'm going to savor your ears. And you know who I'm talking about? The Rebel Shock Trooper. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. She gets force choked, right? So that's that was the root of my thinking about this. Like, okay, they're teasing something here with the, the, the child's force spectrum. Where is he landing on it? What is his you know thing what is his as a character 
what is his motivation, right? A little thinking deeper on him as a character. And so I'm like, all right, are we seeing that a little exploration here? I mean, <laughs> you know, but we're not. Okay, I, I completely overthought it. I'll, I'll be honest. I think I completely overthought that thought. This was just a moment played for laughs. And it was like, it was like a parody of Alien, right? Um, from the moment he is about to go touch the Xenomorph-esque eggs. Mm-hmm. And you think like a xenomorph, or the sorry, not a xenomorph, uh, a face hugger is gonna pop right out of it, and it's like a dead spider, like and he just eats it, uh, very anticlimactically, just like, and gross. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. But um, sort of going back to the the spider things, we get like a straight up horror, maybe like a Jurassic Park esque runaway scene right after that, which yeah. is um, something that I think the show should take advantage of um like we talked about in the last episode with regards to genre melding um mm-hmm. you can sort of explore more of the different genres of filmmaking within the context of mandalorian the show because it's not really mm-hmm. restraint upon a traditional movie narrative where you need to have um certain plot lines play out you can have these sort of one-off adventures and and spin off a genre um yeah again this is sort of a yeah exploring it like a different genre completely it's it's very much uh almost like a spin-off in itself of a show like or or a standalone episode i guess not a spin-off but yeah yeah so like again this episode seems misplaced within the season but um it's not to say i wouldn't want to see more of the general theory behind that explored to the show so yeah very good point that was um probably the the guiding light with regards to this episode i'm just gonna say straight up this is probably one of my least favorite episodes in the mandalorian ever um Mm -hmm. not to say that it was like bad or not entertaining it was just sort Mm -hmm. of a a nothing episode that i'm probably gonna dread rewatching on more viewings so Mm -hmm. um but again like the general id behind it i I like and i hope they yeah continue to expand upon yeah, it, it really plays on the fact that it's like an anthology kind of a series that episodes can be independent of one another. They can really, like you said it perfectly, I think just taking advantage of what Star Wars can be, uh, exploring different mediums and stories and themes. Like the last episode was this Arthurian uh, Western fantasy melding really two different m- mythical stories um, and bringing it into a Star Wars setting. And this was like you're saying, like a really classical Indiana Jones. And I was getting like Harry Potter 2 vibes, you know, with the spider in the caves, uh, the chase in that movie. Um, I thought it was really picking up on that kind of when Harry and Ron are running, uh, trying to escape the uh, escape the spiders. Uh, I thought it was like almost touching upon that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's that kind of classical storybook kind of story, it felt like, you know. Um, I was saying in the beginning, this felt, I, I actually agree with you that it's um it might be a forgettable episode in this season i think that's just because it came kind of early but um i might read i might rewatch it just on that like fact of like it feels to me like a really offshoot saturday cartoon filler like just a fun little act kind of fun action moments in the in the middle um the tonal shifts i guess that you pointed out too that didn't throw me off too much i guess It, it made it a good variety of um of a of an adventure i guess like a classical adventure like a classical like 1980s amblin movie kind of an adventure where it has 
peaks of horror, peaks of comedy, um, peaks of, you know, uh, pure adventure with the with the cave with the running through, running, uh, escaping the spiders and how they're really getting pushed back back like closer and closer to the ship and then into the cockpit and they're getting overrun. Um, I I loved that. I loved how they were really just getting pushed back and and also showcasing like how industrial and industrially strong the the Razorcrest ship is and how he's just like torching it with a flamethrower and it's like flame resistant. You know, I I like that. I like seeing uh the like in a weird way like the uh the strengths of the ship the the uh core components working at at its best but um yeah uh moving on to the ending i guess unless there's more you want to add to just that to the bit there no that's that's about all i had there yeah no that was that was a really good summary i think that kind of summed it up perfect this was um a good episode just reflecting on um just tying different genres different tones i guess together but overall not fitting i guess i agree on that too not fitting great as a second episode i it makes me mo- but it does make me more anticipated for the third episode cuz i believe the third episode will be more plot heavy um i guess we're going to see a new mandalorian in the third episode I because hope. he's going to he's going to be going to this planet to be introduced to one um after he makes the delivery of the the frog lady apparently a lot of people know where mandalorians are uh, surprising yeah, apparently they're not so hidden yeah right? apparently you not. just run into a frog lady and she'll tell you there's one at my home planet yeah oh i've seen them yeah oh yeah my neighbor's a mandalorian yeah oh yeah that that ancient class of warriors that you know almost got completely wiped out next to the jedi oh yeah i i saw one on a boat uh, across the street yeah no biggie it's a galaxy by the way yeah the entire <laughs> galaxy and yeah here's just an extinct creed of people oh yep yeah i I want to explore that more in this series. And, like, I think that's one of my worries. Um, not worries, I guess. I'm, I'm overall really pleased by the show but uh, and, like, the structure of it and how it works. But, you know, the the nerd, the, the, the big Star Wars nerd in me who likes to get into the, the lore of it all, you know, I, I want to see that Mandalorian uh, lore explored more. Like, Clone Wars did it so well in the show, in the animated show, but in live action, you know, that would just be... In, in, in the quality of filmmaking that they're doing would be really cool just to see different characters different like one of my favorite parts of season one was the armor and the episodes she was featured in and just like you know expanding on the mandalorian lore so i'm i'm looking forward to episode three going forward from there uh episode two ended um kind of kind of weirdly with the ship flying off half broken half fucked up like i don't know ships could function like that in space um yeah i thought it was awfully convenient how like how the fuck did he get that thing off his ship the the spider yeah the giant right so the 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 new republic is fully established as dicks they let mandel live i guess because they recognize that he's doing a service to the galaxy by uh taking out you know doing his job as a bounty hunter taking out people and they also recognize i guess like tying back to the heist episode that he did save the New Republic security guard, um, the officer, prison officer. And he turned um, in four criminals, I believe. So they, yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 it was cool to, to, to see that different sides, I guess, uh, of like characters, different shades of the galaxy in a way. And then he just, he hobbles off the planet in a, in a fucked up razor crest. So I guess leading into episode three, I'm, I'm, I've got... I've got anticipation. Like, what's he gonna do with the ship? You know, what's what's the story of that? 
what's going to happen with her. I guarantee you it's, it's going to go to mechanic and be fixed within the first 10 minutes. <laughs> that's a bold prediction. That's a hot take. And if that. not, if not, he's no, going to take it to a mechanic and he's just going to be on the planet. And by the time he needs to leave the planet, it'll be fixed. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But it'll, it'll be a... I would love to see the... Um, I mean, we already did see a mechanic kind of thing take place, so never mind. I was going to say I would love to see, like, a Star Wars garage, but I just realized that's what the character on Tatooine was, essentially. Yeah, he just came from that. <laughs> he just came from there. So back to Tatooine, Shaney, your favorite player. Yeah, obviously. I swear to God, I know yeah. we're going back. What if it is, though? What if he's like, we ought to go back to fix the <laughs> ship, and <he's, laughs> he meets another crate dragon. And then does he the passes by. Makes the... another stake. He has to leave and he has to can't travel by light speed when he comes by two rebel people and they don't know who he is and he doesn't have his beacon on so they ask him to come in and he's like no and then like he hey didn't die. we just see you didn't we just do this episode yeah like holy fuck they're running out of ideas that's all season two is is this endless loop <laughs> it's like it's literally in, uh it's literally tenant it's uh actually tenant we're watching it and i don't know if you know this play. but i heard that the frog lady is actually going to have one of the most emotional arcs in in tv history so don't worry about it shut up shut up now you're going too far that's rubbish no it's not rubbish yes it's rubbish it's complete rubbish (laughs) tell me that she's actually like the sith lord like she's like a grand moth or something like she has some greater importance at all no he lands on there and he and he finds a Jedi, and, and then, and then all no, you, like all her you, kid is a Jedi. Like her kid comes back in Episode Eight, a fully fledged Jedi. No, like, no, 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 no. Mando finds a Jedi. The Jedi starts to spill information to him, and then she starts getting choked, and it's just an over-the-shoulder shot of the Gecko Lady with her arm raised, choking the fuck. Jedi. And then Mando's like, "Oh no!" And then guess what? She's the final boss, bitch. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not um, Gideon. It's not a uh, Grand Moff Gideon. It's her. She's just like rap rap frog, frog language. Mm-hmm. And Mando's like, I still fucking can't understand you. I didn't take Rosetta Stone yet, Frog Lady. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I like your shot composition. I I could visualize it there. She's it's like uh, the body is raising, and as the body gets lifted out of the frame, it's just the Frog Lady in her arm, and it's like very Darth Sidious kind of crackling voice. She got the hood over her, you know. Her eyes are covered very very. No, now I'm just um, picturing her and shooting out Force Lightning and just going. Uh, with translation underneath <laughs> going unlimited power yeah yeah <laughs> yeah with translation underneath exactly it's subtitled because she only speaks frog fuck it give her own spinoff gecko lady a I mean, star wars story film yeah no there you go i mean come on trademark lucasfilm oh fuck i'm crying email us mythicmorons at gmail.com if you want that story if you want it for a comic book we're willing to sell it uh, clip that please clip that <laughs> that was awesome that was uh that was our bold hot takes for a star wars spinoff that um you know i think actually has grounds for potential yeah as far as uh exploring the sith go <laughs> exploring the dark side of the forest yeah that frog lady is it cheney i think you're on to something oh man i know i'm on to something i'm a narrative genius I've been. We'll we'll come back to that. I'm, you know, we, we made some bold predictions uh, with the boys, and I think we were we were pretty good with watching that show. So, I'm excited to see if we'll follow up again on the next Mythic Morons episode to see the continuation of the. I mean, they got to change the show at this point to the Adventures of the Frog Lady Obviously. and her kids. Obviously, and the last of her species. You know. Yeah, she turned to the dark side as a means to seize power and save the one she loved to, to save her species. Yes, I mean, this is a redemption story. 
you know, this is this could be a story about vengeance now when she's realized two or three of her kids were eaten by the child. I can't believe you didn't believe the, me when I said she'd have the greatest television arc ever. I'm telling you, man, he's the star of it all. He's going to be, uh, I'm telling you, he's contemplating the dark side himself. He might just join the frog lady in the end of it and just be like, let's take over the universe together. I we'll love create a new empire and Padme shit. A first order. Let's make yeah, like, like, yeah. Oh my God, are we about to see how the First Order was actually incepted? I hope not. <laughs> no, let's let's get out of the fan theory in our heads. Like, this is uh, that's ridiculous. What are your actual that was... bold predictions for Episode Three, though? Yeah, um, good question. My my predictions are that we will be introduced. I think the plot will be carried forward now. It has to, and we'll be introduced to a, a new Mandalorian. I think if you if you remember from the trailers and um, you know I did obviously watch some YouTube videos after this to explore Easter eggs and shit like that, but um, there was a, a reference to like some shots of the trailer where there was um, Mando landing on this water world and there's like the frog lady in her basket of children is featured in one of the shots and um, connecting to like another shot in the trailer there was a hooded figure who to your point, kind of does look like Jedi, kind of Sithy maybe even, black robe put on. So I think we'll be, um, I'm expecting we'll be introduced to somebody of knowledge of either the Force or the Mandalorians. Um, and I think that could be somebody from the Rebel show, possibly like Sabine from Rebels. Or not, yeah, my time was, yeah, Sabine from Rebels. Um, I've heard she was going to make a, a little cameo in this with Ahsoka. Yeah, um, and also, or no, there's more Mandalorians actually. There's also um from the Clone Wars show, uh, what's her name? Bo Katan, played by uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to name too many people that I really don't know off the top of my head, so I'm just not gonna try it. Anyways, Bo Katan from the Clone Wars uh show is also like said to make a, an appearance, so I think we'll for sure meet some Mandalorians in the next episode. Um, to try and progress this thing forward because at this point they they're setting up a lot of to do list kind of you know a checklist for Mando yeah right like first now he's got this this Boba Fett armor he's got to kind of try to get that taken care of got that done okay great now I got to find a Mandalorian tell me find a Jedi tell me find Baby Yoda's people so he's got a little of a checklist and we haven't made a lot of progress on it yet you know? no then that so that I'm was kind of the that checklist the problem with Episode Two is like. Little to yeah. no progress was made, but hey, whatever. Little to no, little to no. So yeah, and and I believe this is only going to be an eight episode series again, and hopefully they they utilize time like their time well, like forty five to an hour of an episode. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Where do you think we're going from here? I don't know necessarily if we're, we're going to get Mandalorians. I think it's going to be another Dick Tease moment. Um, Fuck. Uh, I do think we're going to get some Jedi business though, um, mm-hmm. which will be interesting. So yeah, uh, it'd be cool if if, if you do sense a Jedi. Who? What Jedi do you think would make an appearance? I don't. uh, Well, I don't know if it's gonna be one that was already established. I I actually think the Jedi character in this show might be a new character. Yeah. So I would like that. I would like to see a new character too. Yes, some other Padawan that maybe survived Order sixty six or something. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of threads that they've left open with like past Filoni shows with Rebels ending and Clone Wars um, I mean Clone Wars ended finale, like with finality um, but Rebels had a pretty cliffhanger ending with you know Ezra and Ahsoka and uh, Sabine so I think I think 
the plan with Mandalorian season two is to somewhat tie in those characters to see like what what are they up to nowadays in post Empire Star Wars. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a pretty good point of discussion. Like where we will eventually see both, I guess, something to do with Rebels or something to do with Mandalorians or and something to do with Jedi. So interesting to see what pops off first. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think. It got me. It's got me anticipating this third episode um, as a positive, as a last positive note, I guess, for the second episode. It's got me looking forward to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. this episode gave me blue balls for sure. So I'm ready to oh, yeah. blow my load in the third one. So let's let's, see, let's see what happens. Yeah, there's my dick analogy for the week, everyone. My cl- <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always one, and that might that might have made a that might have made a compilation right there. That might be like 12 for 12. I don't know, Janie. Yes. Also, if we have anyone listening that's that's actually a good artist, can you please make Darth Lizard Lady, please? And send it to our, that would be cool. and send it to our Instagram. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. No, if we can get like concept art for that, that would be much appreciated. And we'll shout you out on the show. And um, yeah. Uh, with that, Janie, are we, are we good to wrap up? Is there anything more you'd like to add? No, I think we're good to wrap up. So if you have any um, Darth Lizard yeah. Lady concept art, please send it to our Instagram at Mythic Morons. Um, also, or if you have uh, your own fan theories for future Mandalorian or Star Wars stories, you can also share that with us. We'd be glad to hear it. Absolutely. Um, also, follow us on YouTube at Mythic Morons. We're slowly adding the full um, catalog of our episodes up there for visual viewings. I don't know. We got we got a nice little wave thingy going. It's nice. You do the good yeah, job. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh if you, if you're into that whole uh youtube um just the platform to watch or listen to stuff and like i said in the beginning we'll put time codes for our discussions so if you just want to like get into specific discussions that we're having or whatever youtube could be the place to go and find us and subscribe there um and Um, make sure if you're listening on spotify apple play or apple Podcasts or google play um give us a rating it actually does help um a lot and yeah with that i just will say thanks for listening this is cheney signing off Wait, real quick, Cheney, real quick, Uh-oh. real quick. Well, we did we did officially end there, but um, I, I have a movie selection option for the next episode. Oh, so really? It's been a while since we've given, yeah, it's been a while since we've given a like live on-air suggestion option, and we didn't talk about a movie this week or the week before, so I'll throw one out. Um, a new David Fincher movie came out very recently on Netflix. I don't know if you heard about it. Oh, which movie is that? It's a movie called Mank, actually. It's a period piece. It's... Uh, you know, classic Hollywood story uh, behind the making of you know one of the Hollywood great movies, Citizen Kane. Uh, I'm sure, you're well aware of what that movie is. Yep. Uh, have you seen Citizen Kane? Uh, a while ago, long while ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and yes, yeah, so this is like the story of the uh, the screenwriter, uh, Mank is his name, and uh, his I guess coming onto the project, the making of Citizen Kane from his perspective and it's like a black and white shot on film period piece of old hollywood i guess as a setting um so kind of an interesting like premise off that uh, david fincher directing it or he directed it um and it's on it's on netflix all right cool so i guess next week we'll do sort of a uh, a mandalorian review and then also we'll have a second episode reviewing that movie and checking it out yeah for sure yeah uh yeah and with that we can sign off and we'll let We'll let our, our, our listeners go. Thank you guys for listening, as always. Uh, we really appreciate it, and, and thank you for showing your support. Um, 
And with that, Sid is signing off and yep. Peace.